church? Can you please show, show some love for our student leaders that are up here with us? Appreciate you guys. Should be very, very proud of Hudson and his team. Uh, just uh, a couple of things real quick before we get into the message. Uh, there's about 150 open seats in the 9 a.m. service. <laughs> the donuts are way more fresh. <laughs> Coffee is super hot. Burritos are spicier. Uh, I don't know what to say. Need about 100 of you, if you can, to make the shift from 10.30 to 9. We have plans moving forward to... Uh, accommodate more people, but y'all are inviting your friends and family, and God is, continues to draw people through our doors. So if you can help us in that way, uh, that would be amazing. Secondly, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, which means that thousands of churches all over the nation are reminding us that God is the author, creator, and sustainer of all life. Almost right in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 139. It speaks to God's intimate working before we were ever born. And so for these reasons, we partner with Christian Family Care Agency, who specialize in adoption, foster care, and also pregnancy counseling. In addition to this, we have a, a well, we have a very, very special group of people here. And they have an abortion care ministry. And there's a lot of heartache surrounding this. These people enter into that space, come alongside others, and bring a tremendous amount of hope and healing. So I want you to know that that is available to you. All you have to do is very discreet, anonymous, just call the church office and we can give you more information. So over the last few weeks, we've been engaged in this series titled Jesus in His Own Words, and the idea is, can we not let Jesus speak for himself? Can we not do that? It's like everybody has their thoughts and opinions about who the man is. Let's just let him speak for himself, and when we do that, the words are really profound and life-changing, and this morning, he's gonna step into your world and he's gonna wreck it <laughs> in the best possible way. His words bring life. They're not always easy. But there's great fruit in the challenging things. So how can I best set this up? If you have ever had conflict with anyone, this message is for you. If you have ever caused conflict, this message is for you. The fact is, we're all on both sides of this equation. It's quite possible that the people that are sitting next to you are the source of your conflict. Maybe you're the source of their conflict. Close proximity gives us all kinds of opportunities to rub each other the wrong way. Jesus speaks into this issue. It seems to be very important to him, especially amongst the church family, because surely before Jesus departed, he prayed for future believers. That's us. And of all the things he could pray for, isn't it interesting, he prays for unity. He says, I, I want my followers to be unified. And, and here's why that's so important, because the world will know that there's something different about us. We come together from all different walks of life, and yet we have this thing in common. 
and it changes us. It changes the nature of our relationships, how we interact with one another. Even when we offend one another, what happens then? What do we do with that? Jesus says it's important. Uh, the reality is, is, is your relationship is, is not going to be made whole without you doing something. It's going to require something from you. The relationship will not be made whole unless you do something. You might have to take some initiative. And it's not going to be easy. But when you step into that space, you find yourself becoming a salve to people around you. So when Jesus was on the earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and he compared that to this earthly kingdom and the kingdoms of man. And while he was here, he was this living and breathing example. His words, his actions and attitudes, everything about him was a representation of that heavenly kingdom. And so here's the deal. Jesus isn't here. He's not walking with us anymore. But he told his followers, here's the baton. I gave you the example. Now you run with it. Now it's up to you. You bring a taste of heaven to this earth through your words, your actions, and your attitude as you imitate me. Jesus laid this down in the parable, parable after parable, talking about what it meant to bring reconciliation. That's at the heart of Jesus' ministry because Jesus came to reconcile us to God. But there's also this reconciliation that takes place amongst his people every once in a while, and that's necessary. So in this Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever preached, it's just like Jesus is the master. All preachers must bow down to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> the world needs some peace right now. Yeah, what a great compliment for someone to call you a peacemaker. When they think about you, they hear your name. Man, that, let me tell you, that person is a peacemaker. That's not something we hear very often in our world, but it's desperately needed. So the good words of Jesus are going to ring true today. Let me set this up by telling you that as Jesus is giving this message, for the most part, the people in the audience, very common, just trying to make ends meet. They've never heard anybody speak like Jesus, super pro profound, very authoritative, and they're captivated by him. But there's also this other group, and they hate Jesus. Ultimately, they're gonna have him crucified. One of the reasons why they hate him is because he points out their hypocrisy. Isn't it interesting that this group happens to be religious people. Religious people can be very, very self-righteous. And Jesus calls them out. Now, Jesus came to save them as well. He came to save them from themselves and their self-righteousness, but they wouldn't listen. They were the religious leaders known as the scribes and Pharisees. And so every time Jesus spoke, they became more and more Well, energized, you might say, until eventually they said, this man must die. So this is the backdrop against which Jesus is speaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. But as he introduces this little sermon, this little, little 
this little this insert right in the sermon, and, and, and he says, let me just talk to you about conflict resolution, but before I, I, I go into this, he, he says this in Matthew 5, 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, those are the religious guys, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the people are thinking, that's impossible because doesn't it like go from God to the religious leaders to everybody else? And Jesus, you're telling us that we have to be more righteous than these guys? And Jesus is actually saying, see, that's the point. They're self-righteous. It's actually quite easy for you to exceed their righteousness. These guys are full of conflict. They always think they're right. They never apologize. It's like their way or the highway. And so Jesus says, let's talk about conflict resolution. And then he launches into this little seminar on conflict resolution. Verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You're like, wow, Jesus, these are really heavy words. Can you lighten up a little bit? He's actually taking this idea of murder and teasing it out to its logical conclusion. And he's speaking to the heart of the matter. I'll show you in a moment. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember, man, my brother has something against me. In other words, I did him wrong. You leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge. The judge is going to hand you over to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So here goes. Jesus is at it again. Oftentimes in this sermon, he says, you have heard it said. What's he talking about? He's talking about the words of Moses. So God gave Moses, the prophet, his laws. Moses wrote them down, shared them with the people. The people understood the laws of Moses. They knew Moses really well. It was like Moses was the man. You know, it's like Moses' words are powerful and authoritative. So Jesus steps up and he says, you have heard it said. In other words, you've heard Moses say, but then he takes it and he puts a spin on it. He says, but I'm actually telling you something different. This is what Moses said, but I say to you, so he never contradicts Moses. What he does is he takes the words of Moses to another place. And uh, it's, it's actually quite profound because what Jesus says is it's not actually only about your actions. It's about your attitude. It's about your words. It's about your thoughts. And all of those things actually make you guilty. In other words, what he's saying is your anger and your harsh words, they're more serious than you know. He puts it on the same plane as murder. How can that be? I'll explain it to you. When someone commits murder, what's happening in that person's heart? What's going on? What fuels the urge to murder somebody? You know what it is? Anger. And when you're angry with somebody, you're going to speak disparagingly about them. Murder, anger, disparaging words. Jesus says, do you see? It's a package. Someone might say, well, I've never murdered anybody, but I've spoke against them. 
And Jesus says, no, that, see, that's more serious than you know because that's actually the heart of murder, your words, your anger. Now, this is far more serious than you know. But then what Jesus does is he doesn't just leave you there. He says, so, so, this is a connecting word. It's an action word. Here's what you should do about it. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, you might not have murdered them, but you've had angry thoughts and you've spoken against them, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So this is really interesting because at this point, Jesus shifts the relational focus and he says, if you have a problem, a conflict that is unresolved and you have done something to offend a brother or sister, you actually now have a conflict with God. Let me just let that land for a second. <laughs> if you have a conflict with a brother or sister and you're the source of that conflict and you don't deal with it, he says, now you actually have a conflict with God. So <clears throat> in many situations, we don't set out to intentionally wound or offend each other. But what happens is conflict very often is fueled by good desires that are misplaced give you an example. It's not wrong for you to want to be loved and understood. But if your sole source of being loved and understood is another person, you're in trouble. You will be let down. Uh, I, Jill and I have been married for, it's so long I can't do the math. <laughs> Actually, it's not math, it's arithmetic. I can't even think that well. Um, it'll be 31 years this year. I love her, I give my life for her. Yeah, I know, everybody claps. I'm, that's definitely like, way to go, Jill. You made it, you made it. 31, 31 years. I love her, give my life for her. We have a beautiful life together. Our daughter got baptized in the first service. It's just like, you know, it's like doesn't get any better than that. Tremendous memories together. I make a lousy God. Horrible God. She's better than I am. But she cannot be the ultimate source of understanding, love, value. And that's the place that God alone fills. And so what happens is when I put that expectation on her, guess what happens? I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I may even have a disparaging thought and it may have happened, a disparaging word. Good desire, but misplaced. And notice also Jesus says, go make it right. Leave your offering and make peace. You know what he's implying? He, he says, come to terms quickly with the person accusing you. Here's the implication. You've done something wrong. Own up to it. You've actually done something wrong. Three sides to every story. Your side, my side, and the truth. One of us might be a little closer to the truth. But typically there's three sides. So what Jesus is saying is there, there's something that you've done for which you need to make right. You need to own it. That's the first step in 
in making peace, right? You've messed up. Don't explain it away. You heard me say before, three of the most, uh, well, they're not very commonly used in the English language when they're put together. I was wrong. I am sorry. That's on me. So there's really hard work at times discovering what we need to own because there's great humility in this. Um, Good friends can help. And then we reach out and we seek to make things right. We go. Go, Jesus says. And here's the deal. Here's how relationships work. If we don't own up to the hurt that we've caused, the relationship will never be the same. There will never be reconciliation because in the back of that person's mind, they're thinking, you hurt me and you don't know it. Or you hurt me and you do know it, but you won't acknowledge it. And I won't allow you to hurt me again, so we're always going to have some distance between us. So this doesn't always go the way you want it to. What if the person refuses to forgive you? Well, we have a verse for that. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So here's the deal. Successful peacemaking in God's eyes is not a matter of specific results. It is purely a matter of obedience. What is God asking me to do? You can't control how the other person responds. You know that. But you can control what God is speaking to you. Now, what if you were the one who has been offended? This gets uh, difficult as well, right? What is your responsibility? Well, one of the the truly unique features of the Christian life is, is forgiveness. It's been said that you're never more like God than when you forgive other people and you receive forgiveness from them. And we of all people should, should understand why this is important. Um, and yet we fail to show it, extend it to others and receive apology. And sometimes we cover up our stubbornness or really more literally our disobedience because we might say something like this. We might say, well, I forgive that person, but I don't want to have anything to do with them. Have you ever thought that before? Oh, I, for, I forgive you. Just don't ever come around me again, okay? Don't talk to me. Don't speak to me. Don't, I don't want to have anything to do. You're forgive. I forgive you, but I never want to be around you. What if God treated you that way? Oh, I forgive you, God says, but I'm not, I don't want to have anything to do with you. So, so when I say forgiveness is this Christian virtue that is elevated above what the world would view as forgiving, we're talking about Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I'm telling you, he's elevating it. He's taking it to a higher plane. He, he's asking his followers to do things that is just not seen. Colossians 3.13 helps us understand that, well, first off, there's the the implication, the assumption is that we're going to offend each other. He says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. But then he adds this. Here's your model for forgiveness. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You have been forgiven for every debt, every offense that you've ever committed. See, this is what set Jesus apart. 
ultimately, when we do wrong, it's an offense against God first because it's his rules, it's his laws. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? God lays it down. He's the one who forgives sins. And so when Jesus is on the earth, here's this human, right? And he's literally telling people, your sins are forgiven. And the people are looking at him going, what man declared sins forgiven? That's jobs, that's, that's God's job. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is going, exactly. I'm communicating something to you about who I am. Your sins are forgiven. The implication, Jesus has deity. He has God's authority. And so when he says your sins are forgiven, it's, that's all of them. That's all of them. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, I fully realize that sometimes this gets very, very complicated. And very often there are substantive issues that need to be discussed and even negotiated. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, a gentleman from the church reached out to me and said, hey, pastor, I entered into this business contract with another brother and they've defrauded me, and I'm out a lot of money. Well, it just so happened that this other brother attended my friend's church. So I pick up the phone. I said, hey, pastor, we have a situation here. We need to see if we can't bring some forgiveness that leads to reconciliation. By the way, you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness first. That's, see, Jesus knows what he's talking about. You understand why that's important? You can't have reconciliation until you have forgiveness first. So I said, we need to, somehow we need to bring some salve to this situation. So let's bring these brothers together. Let's try to move toward forgiveness so we can find some reconciliation and we'll see what happens. We'll pray. So the four of us get together. Everybody lays everything out. And yes, in fact, clearly one brother has defrauded another and there was quite a bit of money involved. And through the negotiations, the debt was reduced and a check was written. Now the brother who was defrauded knew that if he cashed this check, it was gonna nearly bankrupt this brother. And I'm telling you the most beautiful thing happened. This is the Christian life on display. He took the check ripped it up and said, all is forgiven. Debt is forgiven. You're never more like God than when you extend forgiveness. So the brother, to his own pain, absorbed some of the wrong for the sake of maintaining Christian unity and even bringing help and healing to the brother who had made the sin an offense against another. You're never more like God than when you forgive. Now, let's take it to the next level because very often the most challenging moments of forgiveness have to do with your family. Because you've heard me say a million times, there is no pain like what? There is no pain like family pain. What do you do when you attempt this process, but it's just, the person is just so resistant. The, the wound is cut so deep. It's like, you know, the person feels it, they hemorrhage. 
Well, as with all conflicts, you need to be prepared for people who are unforgiving. And, and I would actually, from a biblical standpoint, actually go so far as to say, from a Christian perspective, it is unreasonable. What do you do with unreasonable people in conflict? First, remember, like I said earlier, peacemaking, it's not so much about the end result as it is about your faithful obedience to doing what God calls you to do. Secondly, what I would say is don't give up because here's the tendency. Human nature is such to say, Bible is shut, read the verse, tried to make peace, got the door slammed in my face, I'm out, I'm good, I did my part. Here's what I would say. If you get the door slammed in your face, pray more and love more because those become very focused weapons. Pray more and love more and do not give up. You never know what God is doing in someone's heart and the trajectory of where that person is headed. Unresolved conflict also, no, is an opportunity for your own personal spiritual growth. And lastly, and most importantly, you really can't be the peacemaker Jesus talks about until you're on good terms with God. What's your motivation for extending peace to others? It's to fully understand the peace that you have with God. And that begins by receiving what Jesus did on the cross for you. If you haven't done that, you will never truly be a peacemaker because you don't have it within you to extend the kind of forgiveness that Jesus extended to you apart from the Spirit of God in your life working. You'll never go that far. You'll make attempts. When Jesus, think about, forgive others as you have been forgiven. Jesus is on the cross and amongst his last words are what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To his own torturers, Jesus says, forgive. It's been said, and perhaps rightly so, C.S. Lewis thought this, of all Christian virtues, forgiveness is the highest. And at times, it is the hardest. And that's actually the point. What's easier? For you to come in the room and to lift your hands and worship to God. Lift your voice and worship to God or to go to the brother or sister that has an offense and make it right, which is more difficult. You know what it is, go, go. So you know what the word worship literally means? This is pretty cool. The word worship, such a Christianese word. Let me tell you what it means. The word worship literally means to ascribe worth. We're all worshipers. Every person, every human is a worshiper. They go, they, they find some unreached people group or some remote tribe in some faraway place in the world that nobody's ever encountered before, guess what they discover about that group? They are worshipers. Typically, they worship nature, but they worship. They ascribe worth to something. That's what worship means. So here's what, here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, the way you can ascribe worth to God is by doing the difficult thing, and that shows, hey, God, I'll be obedient to the point that it might cost me my pride. That's a greater sacrifice. I might have to humble myself, and I just need to go and make it right. 
Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, a ton could be said about this verse, but here's the one thing I want to lift out of it. What he's saying is, before we give ourselves away in mercy to others, first we must come before God's throne and worship him. That's what the verse says. You catch that? Before you give yourself away in mercy and forgiveness to others, you gotta come before the throne of God and put yourself down and kneel before him and worship God because your act of mercy and forgiveness towards others begins by ascribing worth to God. Why would you wanna do this? Because there's tremendous fruit. And this is what's been done for you. 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or you drink, or even when you offend somebody, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This isn't just showing up at church for an hour on Sunday and bringing glory to God. This is a moment by moment where you're crawling up on that altar and you're saying, God, what is it that I need to sacrifice? My pride, my humility, my ego. And then you watch and see how God doesn't bring restoration. So what's so beautiful about today, among many things, is that we were gonna hear from some people who have made peace with God. And it's just transformative. Once you make peace with God, you can make peace with others in a way that you never thought you could before. And you're gonna hear some of that in the testimonies this morning. But I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Jill and I have been having this discussion lately and how at times, you know, when people come to us and they want to talk about some spiritual issue in their lives, I'll just speak for myself. I'm super guilty of this. I always wanna give a fix for it, right? Like I always wanna speak when I should probably be silent. And so what Jill and I have committed to doing is to, is, to, is to doing this a little bit more. Asking a simple question. And so I'm gonna give it to you right now, all right? In light of what we've read, what is the Spirit of God saying to you? Because I'm, I'm quite certain the Spirit of God is shouting something to you very clearly right now. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? It's not that complicated. And what are you gonna do about it? How much worship are you willing to ascribe to God after hearing his spirit's voice in your life? Father, good words from Jesus, words that bring life. I pray for a supernatural measure of not just grace, but of knowledge and understanding God, ultimately of what you do for us, what you have done for us, and Lord, can we not please, Lord, will you give us this, this favor of having just a room full of peacemakers? That, that's how we would be known. For our good, but ultimately for your glory. Father, thankful for every single life that we're gonna hear from, and just super encouraged. Thank you for the reminder that you were in the business of changing lives. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and God's people said, amen.